Welcome to Up To and Including Death. My name is Dr. Patricia Brewer. And I'm John Brewer. And we are a married couple. And we're here doing something very special with yeah. part four of our of our viewing of Stephen King's The Stand, the miniseries that was it came out in, what was it, 1994? Yes, 1994 it was on CBS. And I stayed up until two in the morning finishing The Stand. The book. The book by Stephen King. Yes. Published in 1978, but based in 1990. So there's a lot of craziness going on, but the, I think the the extended version of it came out in 1990. That would make sense. Yeah. So the extended version came out in 1990, and then they made this they made this mini series out of it. Yeah, because I actually remember the excitement about the release of the unabridged version, and I don't remember 1978. No, because you were a baby. Yeah. You're a baby boy. So I it took me I think six weeks. Almost the, no, I think I was reading Salem's Lot when we started this podcast, and we are, no, because I keep forgetting that we're not six weeks into this podcast. I think this is podcast, this is episode 12, so it's... No, you had read Carrie when we started this. Yeah, well, I just finished it, and I was reading Salem's Lot. Okay. That was still pretty spooky, I gotta say. I I will say this was Salem's Lot. It was more wall-to-wall terrifying than The Stand, because The Stand's not really about horror um, the horror show of the plague in the first episode right that that's a scary individual thing that happens and then with the dreams and with the betrayal there's less horror and more politicking yeah that's why i'm kind of glad that this series was in four parts because there is like four distinct parts of the stand very different types of movies like the the betrayal is just let's how do how do we make a community again very walking dead yeah very Walking Dead, because it's, you know, in some ways the community ones are a little boring, like recreating the recreating the world, even though that's impossible. Yeah, I really think the creators of The Walking Dead were heavily influenced by The Stand. They must be. Because even, like, between the comics and the TV show, there's so many similarities. And the way the TV show is shot is so similar to The yeah. Stand. Yeah. The character progressions, everything. I'd like to go back to a conversation we were having at the beginning uh, when we watched, when we first watched it together. It found, feels like a thousand years ago, but it was a month ago, I guess, uh, when we first watched the first part of this. And I had read the first, you know, 100, 200 pages of the book. Thought I was a fourth way through and I was nowhere near a quarter of the way through. And at the time, we were having this longer conversation about what it was like, like how we, when we read, how did we picture people? Yeah. And at the time, I, you know, I said, I don't usually picture the people from television or whatever, and I don't usually picture faces. But I got to tell you, finishing up the stand, I couldn't help but think of perfect Molly Ringwald and the wonderful Gary Sinise and perfect perfect rob lowe as the the way these other characters looked but did you read tom collins's part as tom collins speaks in the movies in the miniseries it's m-o-o-n yeah 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 because that was one thing i i still like when i look at text from the stand i read it in his voice i think he did a fantastic job but i also thought that when I was reading it, I guess I hadn't gotten to Tom Cullen before we got to Tom Cullen in this one. Or maybe I'd had one scene, and it sounded kind of like, oh yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. I think he comes off as a much more sympathetic character in the miniseries than mm-hmm. in the book. I thought he was pretty sympathetic. Yeah, he was, but seeing the heartbreak in his eyes when, oh. when Rob Lowe shows up in town, and he oh. makes this horde of mannequins, because oh. he just missed everybody, and they, he thinks they Mannequin all just left town. him. Like, everyone, all they all went out to Kansas City. Yeah, and you can see, like, the heartbreak in his face. That yeah, little buddy. Yeah. So, Boulder, Colorado is where we ended. There was a betrayal. Yeah. Because your favorite character in the book is Betrayer. So perfect. So, Nadine Cross is who I want to talk about first. Okay. I got to, to live in her mind for a little bit uh, in the stand. And the funny thing is that you know, Stephen King is so masterful about being inside of a person's head, right? Yes, does he think that candy bars is the reason why people have acne and are fat? 
Yes. Well, that's what we were told back when we were kids. Yeah, it is what we were told that you could just stop eating. Chocolate was the devil. You could stop eating chocolate and then you can stop doing X, Y, and Z. But you know what? For me, you know what it is? It's that fourth or fifth slice of pizza. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, (laughs) I only had three slices with dinner tonight. Are you proud of me? Yeah. Yeah, we're, I'm on Weight Watchers and, um, and this is not a plug, but it works for me in the past. I'm actually a lifetime member of Weight Watchers, which means I made it to a goal weight. But John says that my Weight Watchers goal weight doesn't look like me. So I'm go, I'm go, actually going for a little bit higher than the goal weight. And I think that fa- the actual reaction was, is that you? And yeah. not in a good way. <laughs> it's a little too thin. It was a little thin, I think. And that was like probably the reason I was so hungry all the time. Yeah, you looked hungry. <laughs> hungry for you. Oh, that's... Oh, because I needed you. You didn't even know me then. I know, but I was looking for you the whole time. You were looking for a sandwich, I think. Much... <laughs> I once had my blood tested, and jo- you've heard this story already, but I had my blood tested at work, and I was working at Drexel, and they had this really cool, like, employee thing where if you work at Drexel, you can get your blood tested... And they check your, you know, your waist and they measure it and they check all your metabolic things and whatever. And the lady comes up to me and she says, did you, I thought you said you didn't fast today. And I'm like, yeah, I had breakfast and a snack. And she says, you have to go eat a sandwich right now. And apparently my blood sugar was lower than it should have been if I had been fasting. It was, it was lowest, it was lower than the lowest it should be if I had come in having not eaten uh, for 24 hours. So that was, uh, when I was still only having like fat free milk and that was something that had to change. I had to start actually having fat full milk and it made me a lot happier. You drank skim milk. It was a dark time when I started on Weight Watchers. That's water (laughs) pretending to be milk. It is the worst in the world. And I'd rather not have cereal at all than have skim milk. Anyway. So the stand, Nadine Cross, we, I got to see inside of her mind a little bit, and I know that there's been some criticism in the past about Stephen King's representation of women, though what I, one thing I really do enjoy is the different types of women. Like, you get Franny thinking about how much she just wants to be with Stu, and how she wants him to take over for things, and she, but that's just kind of who she is. She's not this big independent woman. Right? She she had to be when she had to bury her own father. Like, she's a badass. But she doesn't necessarily want to live her life being a badass alone. Stephen King always had badass women in yeah. his books. And Nadine Carrie. Cross is kind of a badass woman in a way, even though she's batshit insane, unfortunately. Carrie's pretty badass. Yeah. You haven't read Firestarter yet. That's, That's little, next, I think. The little girl was a badass. Ooh. No, like, wait. No, no. The Long Walk is the next. Oh. I don't think there's... I can't remember any women in that one. Okay, well, you know, there's lots of dudes in the stand, um, and so I'm so I'm thinking of Nadine Cross and all the things that she's done that were implied with um, with Harold in the movie or in the miniseries. You get horrifically, horrifically graphic details. Yeah, I did not need to know that she was having anal sex with Harold. And the Harold, when he got up, was such a Harold. He was so Harold when he said this. He's think he's leaving and trying to decide if he wants to wake her up and have anal sex with her, and like wake her up with his penis inside of her, because of course, as one does, as one does. And so he's trying to say this to her, or he's thinking about it, and he's got a pitch in a tent. Disgusting. A anyway, husband bulge. he's got a husband bulge, and. He decides not to, and he's, like, bitching in his head about how she won't give him the, quote, one little thing, but if it's not such a big thing, why does the room just smell like masturbation and and smell bad? Because they've been having anal sex, and there's been semen everywhere and whatnot. So, like, and, but one thing I like, though, is that she's frustrated, too, not because she didn't want to be fucking Harold, which obviously not, which again, the actress who plays Nadine Cross in this, excellent job of that revulsion of trying to attract someone at the same time you're disgusted by them. 
Um, good job, because I was just watching some clips from uh, 90 Day Fiance, and I saw that same look of just, like, of utter contempt and revulsion at the same time that they were trying to check someone. But anyway, she, in her mind, she's thinking, like, what is the big deal about virginity? And I just want him to, and at one point she just thinks, I should just want to scream, stick it in, stick it in, and why am I saving myself for him? And so, John, my question for you to start off our conversation and it's only 10 minutes into this podcast of me talking. What's the big deal about virginity? I don't know. What's the point? I don't know. I never uh, felt it was that big of a deal. No? no. I, I was sexually assaulted as a child. And so, and I grew up in a place where you were told that the only value women had was their virginity. And I grew up with hearing that at church, at school, even my public high school. We were told that a man could tell the virtue of the woman that he's marrying by the light in her eyes. And if she's not a virgin, then he'll know because that's dimmed. And it's like, it's kind of like, fuck you. I don't think it's... Like, I don't this think is it's, fucked up. I don't think it's losing your virginity that dims your lights. I think it's being with a man that dims your light. Just you know, in like, general? Oh, yeah. This I feel like my awful. light's really shiny because I'm with you. Oh. But I don't think that... And so this was a really hard thing for me. It's actually what got me into philosophy in a lot of ways was this sort of viciousness in the culture I grew up in of you can't... I didn't feel like I could talk about what happened to me because I was told my whole fucking life that if I wasn't a virgin or wasn't pure or whatever, then... I wasn't valuable because my value was of being a virgin to a husband or whatever. Did you grow up in, like, 16th century Pennsylvania Dutch? No. Um, <laughs> I grew up in uh, Savannah, Georgia. Oh, that's right. I forget how backwards the South Oh, this was. is good. This is going to be really good for our Southern listeners. <laughs> but they fucking know. Sorry for the F-bomb, Southerners, but you know. We're all on the same page about this nonsense where it's like, if I remember hearing... And I, she might hear this or whatever, but my cousin, who became a very religious person when she went to college, was complaining about her friend because her friend had had her apartment burst into by these three, like, workers that were, like, construction working in the apartment, and they gang-raped her in college. And she was gang-raped in her own fucking apartment, and my cousin was complaining about it. Because her friend was so upset and didn't want to talk to her anymore because she was not a virgin anymore. And um, just like, I mean, maybe she's gotten better, but that's that kind of shit that you hear. And it's like, Jesus, what's the point? It's so, I mean, it's such a culture shock for me to hear this from, because I'm older than you. Mm-hmm. This sounds like a, a time before my time, <laughs> but I, I mean, nobody ever talked like this. I like also that. went to finishing school. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Were you, you weren't should. done? I was not done. I had to get finished and learn how to speak politely and how to walk demurely like I was on a cloud. Oh, we're Midwest nice. So we just kind of grow up with that up here. Of people just being demure and walking on clouds? No, it's sarcastically nice. It's oh, Midwest yeah. nice. See, the thing is the South has that too. It's just meanly nice. It's like that bless your heart thing. If I hear another person say, bless your heart. And when I say it, it's like, I mean, it means something bad. It's like, yeah, it's not nice. Now, do I say it all the time? Yes. Is it usually when a child has done something foolish that hurt themselves? Also, Yes. Mm -hmm. And do I think it's a reasonable term? It's great. But yeah, there's a kind of nasty nice to... I think Midwestern niceness and Southern southern niceness are similar in that. Except up here in the UP, I think that some people are just genuinely nice. Yeah. I run across. A lot of people. Except for that kid that stole all those guns recently. Yeah, Less nice. So I, I just think about Nadine Cross and her... She's been holding her virginity. And she's had all these relationships where things almost get to that point. And she goes up to Larry Underwood, who has been trying to become a better man. And in the book, during that scene where she's trying to get him to have sex with her, he's really tempted, but he calls her a rapist and tells her to go. And it's like, dude, you're just doing worse than her. Yeah. And she's just, well, she was touching him, but not like under the pants like he was. 
Um, but yeah, okay, okay. But he's trying. He's doing his best. That he he decide. He's decided he wants to not be a shithead. Yeah, that's commendable. And it's very commendable. Um, and so yeah, it. There's gonna be more to talk about with poor Nadine, pretty soon. I I suspect. Poor so, Nadine. Poor Nadine. Well. I mean, what happens to her? I don't know how it's represented in this because we haven't seen it yet. Um, just as a, a, to say at the top of the episode, we're actually going to be doing our drinking contest. Well, it's not a drinking contest. We're going to be doing our... <laughs> that sounds horrible. We're going to do a power out. No. Uh, we're going to be doing our um, our drink test, our taste test this weekend. I, we keep pushing it off, but this weekend, this past weekend, I was too tired to record this podcast. And so I slept and, and read the stand. And now that I'm working off of four hours of sleep, we cannot be drinking tonight. I might have a beer, but we can't be drinking tonight too much. And then, uh, but this weekend we're going camping at Twin Lakes, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Beautiful place. We've got a nice, like shady campsite. Let's hope. Right on the lake. And we're in, and I've got a phone that has that has a hotspot on it. And so yeah. we're going to make use of that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and we're going to make use of that and record our next episode. Because our next episode, we're actually going back to Shutter Essentials. Yes, and we will discuss that after at the end of this episode. At the end of this episode. So do you think we should get started? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And I would just like to say, I would like to emphasize again that Nick Andros is perfect. And he's played by Perfect Rob Lowe, and it's dead. bullshit that he's dead. Oh. oh, we should should we tell them what happened? Should we do a oh. recap? Uh, a quick one, I guess. Okay, John. We are on part four. You have forty five seconds to do a recap. Um, everybody gets six. Whole bunch of people die. Uh, the people that are left have dreams about either Randall Flag or uh, Mother Abigail, and they choose their sides, and they flock to either Boulder, Colorado, or Las Vegas, Nevada. And of all the heroes, Nick Andros was killed by Harold, who was motherfucking Harold, anti-hero. Him and Nadine had infiltrated the good guys. At uh, even though everyone knew they were creepy and weird, they were creepy and weird, but they were accepting everybody because they thought that Mother Abigail had led them there when, in fact, Randall Flag had told them to go there. Mm-hmm. So we left off with Nick dying, mm-hmm. and Nadine and Harold kind of on the run from. Uh, from the good guys group. Yep. In Boulder. And at the very end of it, uh, the four men that are on the committee... That's right. ...have have wandered off without any food or water, wearing the clothes that they were wearing, and they're walking to go f- confront Randall Flagg. Yes, and, and there are a few scouts who are kind of like spies mm-hmm. within Randall Flagg's group from Mother Abigail's group. Yes, the judge and then... Tom Cullen. Tom Cullen. And a woman. Who a woman who's actually a lesbian or bisexual, uh, depending on what you believe in the book. Um, I don't think she's portrayed this way as much, but in the book, um, it she's bisexual. But like Stu has such such a non understanding of what homosexuality or, or homosexuality or bisexuality is that he just cannot comprehend. So she's a lesbian. Well, and, yeah. <laughs> well, you got to think this was written about a Texan. And it was 1978 when it was written, yeah. not knowing how far we would progress as a society in the 90s. But even a Texan in the 90s, maybe, Look, wasn't I, as... Uh, so this bitch is badass. She's a badass bisexual woman, and I cannot wait to see what she does or how it's depicted. I hope it's depicted what she does in this. I hope it's as amazing as what is depicted by Stephen King in the book. And he wrote this teleplay for this, so let's hope. Okay? Yeah. All right, let's keep going. We had a death or two, perhaps. A third, probably. So, we saw, we started with Nadine in a very over-the-top number of skin-tight black riding clothes and a very big red scarf flowing in the wind, riding her Vespa. Looks like a pink motorbike. On a pink pink Vespa and fucking Harold. (laughs) Yeah, he's, uh... He's not feeling too well. No, he saw a scary, spooky dude on the side of the road <laughs> and drove off the cliff. Yep. Super spooky and scary. Uh, he got super... Uh, so he's hurt. Uh, 
uh, Stu Redmond, played by Gary Sinise, has had some kind of premonition or whatever that Harold's hurt. So we don't know that Harold's dead yet, but Nadine has left. And in the book, Nadine stays and stares at him and he shoots at her a couple times. And then she realizes that her devil lover is not all powerful because she could have died and it's only dumb luck that she survived. Mm. And she's starting to question things. And here we've just seen another death where the uh, the judge uh, who came in, I think, with Larry Underwood. Yeah, that yeah. sounds right. Yeah, he came in with Larry Underwood uh, and he, this dog is snoring. It's kind of <laughs> cute, but it's so loud. So the judge came in with Larry Underwood and his people and he has, uh, he's, I guess, gone on a spy mission, but the bad guy knew about him already. Randall Flagg already knew he was coming. Yep. They've all been looking for him, and we get uh, he gets killed uh, by a, a bunch of dummies. Uh, two dummies. Two dummies. One dummy kills the other dummy and then kills, uh, was not supposed to shoot him in the, the judge in the face. The judge got shot in the face. And so Randall Flagg shows up, and he's just like, he, he's got crow feathers in his hair. His eyes are black. And his eyes are black, almost like he's losing control. Yeah, he just transitioned from crow and didn't quite make it all the yeah, way. Yeah, I can't get that, that humanish look going properly. Yeah. Uh, and so that, I think, is pretty interesting. And one person who we haven't talked about a lot is Lloyd. No, Lloyd's kind of just been in the background. Just yeah. like a lackey. Yeah, he's been a lackey the entire time, and it's really the end of the book where you get a lot of his first-person narrative, which I think, I assume in this uh, episode we're going to get too. And it's so interesting because but when we were introduced to him, he's all hopped up and with someone that's, that uh, is a murderer, and he gets kind of, he was just like a low-level street crime guy, and then he got together with a guy that was like super crime. And and super into murder, and that's how he ended up in the murder spree that ended him in jail, almost starving to death in jail, right? And he's very loyal to Randall Flagg, but we see him here as like new man. He's running an empire, and he is uh, he's got a a special lady friend that yeah. likes his boning. Well, Randall Flagg kind of put him as his head, his first yeah, in charge. Yeah, but he's really it's like oh look, he's doing pretty good at that. But his special lady friend looks. A little bit familiar. You think so? I didn't recognize her at all. You didn't recognize It's because she's so good at being a spy. Oh. Oh, oh. she's spying through the bedroom. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Using her boning to learn secrets. And we're about to find out more. Bad ass bitch. <laughs> Oh, that has got to be the most badass bitch in the show. Yeah, I would agree. Oh, man. What's her name? What's the character's name? Layla? Kayla? I can't remember. So basically, it's the other... It's the... um. So the judge has been killed, yep. right? The woman that has... That saw uh, Tom Cullen... Yeah. Uh, she was the one that uh, is the spy. She's from the township. Uh, she knows who the other spy is, obviously, because she saw Tom, Tom Cullen. Yep. And she uh, is taken to see the uh, the man himself. Randall Flack. Man, in scare yeah. quotes. Am I right? <laughs> so she's taken to see the man himself. The whole time she is talking trash. And in the book, there's like way more time for trash talk. Yeah. But she's talking trash this entire time as she's clipping her like like giant knife into her wrist so that she could use it for murder and then like she gets to randall flag she's kind of tempted by what he's saying almost but then he touches her and she realizes this is a demon and so she tries to stab him he turns turns the uh banana into a knife a a knife into a banana the knife into a banana (laughs) and the thing is she does it like, she, she knows she can't kill him. She's not going to give up Randall, or she's not going to give up Tom Cullen. But she thinks she might. She thinks she might. So this badass motherfucker throws herself into into a glass partition thing and breaks the glass and shoves her throat on the glass. Yep. That is so metal. Now she won't talk about Tom Cullen. She's not talking about shit. 
No. She sacrificed herself for Tom Cullen. And Randall Flagg is a tad upset. He's a little tad upset. He looks like a full-on demon right now. He's not really that composed, even though he's got a full-on Canadian tuxedo and a smiley face button. But he's not as composed as he thinks he is. No, he's kind of losing it. He's kind of losing it. Almost like everything's falling apart all over Tom Cullen. He can't see because Tom Cullen has the magic of being mentally slow. And he was hypnotized. And he was hypnotized, which makes him doubly hard to find. So even his subconscious is... He doesn't quite know that he is currently a spy. No. Uh, He just thinks he got kicked out. Okay, let's keep going. Guess who's dead? Guess who's dead? Guess who's dead with a bullet to the head? Wow, did you just come up with that song? Yeah. You're sounding way too happy. I'm very excited by a certain death that happened. I only think that they should have shown more graphic details so we can really know for sure. That's fine. He's dead. He's definitely dead. Stu knows. Stu knows that he's dead. So Harold uh, is looking a little worse for wear. He crawl in, in the book. This is worse because he he writes it in his stupid ledger, and it's like this whole long thing about how he's so sorry and he was misled and he didn't mean it, but he knows that he's full of shit. That's the thing about Harold. It's like there's these little inklings that he has that he's like, "Am I just a piece of shit?" No. Oh no! Everyone else that's bad. And at the end, he keeps saying, "I was misled." Well, I mean. I was an asshole. I was just, no, I was misled. So he's trying to lie to himself all the time, which is so good. It's such a... No, it's terrible. But Stephen King is so good at depicting such a piece of shit. Yeah. Because it's worse that he knew better. It's kind of like... It makes reminds me of the cartoon from uh, Star Wars. Where one of the stormtroopers is like, Hey, I get this feeling we might be bad. Are the we other, the baddies? And the other stormtrooper says, Shut up and get in the Death Star. <laughs> Like, isn't that your first inkling? You're on a thing called the Death Star. Like, they know yeah. they're bad. So Harold has killed himself, which is just so delicious, and I'm so happy. But this whole Iris misled thing, Stu, this is interesting. In this depiction, instead of them finding Harold's corpse, they are, like, Stu knows that he's dead. and he has he the tastes, shine. He's got the shine, and he can taste the oil in his mouth. Yeah. Yeah, so that, I think, is a little interesting because of what happens later to Stu. That's very reminiscent of what happens to Harold, perhaps. Oh. Oh, perhaps there's some symbolism. They're tied together karmically. There's some parallelism. Because he's the good guy that got the girl that's not a piece of shit. Maybe it's because they're Eskimo brothers. They're not Eskimo brothers. Oh, that's right. She never. He never got Molly Ringwald. No, Molly Ringwald would never get with Harold. Okay. It, when he was the last man on earth, literally. I know, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep going. Bye, Harold. Ugh, poor Nadine. Poor Nadine. Look, I know it's kind of weird that I d- I really wanted Harold to die, and like I was really happy with his death, but that Nadine I felt less good about. But like. She finally, she's had mystical dreams her whole life about this man, right? And yeah. she finally ends up in the desert. He's there, and she's both excited and terrified to see him. And then when he pulls his dick out, she realizes he's a monster. They don't show the penis, but there yeah. must have been something wrong with it. And then she starts saying no, and he tells her it's too late to say no, which is like all the other people she said no to stopped. Eventually, well, he's the devil. I know he's the devil, so he's the one that's the rapist. That's how you know he's a bad guy is because he did the raping and also all the murders and the crucifixions <laughs> yeah. and stuff. But he turns into a devil. The way that the CGI works is he melts into a devil, yeah. but the devil is the prosthesis, so it's like it actually looked pretty good for like a made-for-TV movie in '94. Honestly, not bad for a made-for-TV movie now. Yeah. Like it, the, if the costumes were up to date, well, it would it be like better than Sharknado. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna throw Sharknado. I like the Sharknado, bus. but yeah, but the but, effects aren't very good. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think That's it does the thing, but again, I think also like it's not. Is it horror anymore? It's horrible. Is it horror? Anymore. Like, has this... 
Like this is still it still falls under my category of horror. Yeah. Because it has a supernatural being doing an evil thing. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, I just wonder about that, though. In some ways, the last parts of the book are a lot of this walking that they're doing, that the, that the four guys are going around trying to get to this place, to get, try to get to L.A., and there's not as much... I mean, this is horrible, what happened to Nadine. Sure, her hair's all white now. Because yeah. she's been having these, like, flirtations with the devil her whole life. And so even though she's in her 30s, her hair is completely white. Because um, he had to put his baby inside of her. Because that's the whole part of it. Mm-hmm. And he was promised to her. And whether Randall Flagg is the devil or the devil on earth or some kind of being is unclear as well. Yeah. I would mm-hmm. lead towards him being the devil. Because this is a huge event. You think the devil would want to be around for this? But I also don't know because it's kind of like the devil incarnate, which is not the same thing as the devil. So it is and it isn't. Because he does seem a little bit kind of like a mess to be the devil. Not that the devil is probably the best at organization. No, but you think he'd be pretty efficient at doing things correctly. Yeah, and this guy's kind of all over the place. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, it's, um, gotta feel bad for her and, like, her eventual things that happened to her. Like, these choices that she's made all along. Like, she decided to go along with a supernatural entity that she's been hearing about her whole life in her mind. Mm-hmm. That she's been saving her virginity for. And then when it comes to it, she didn't want to give up her flower. Loud noises. Jesus. Loud noises. That was really scary. Just the wind. I guess it's horror. I'm sorry, Stephen King. Stephen King, I'm sorry. It's been doing it all day since I opened the other window. The wind, the wind just slammed our door shut, and it was really scary. Um, should we continue? Sure. Okay. Man, this... It's so fascinating seeing Randall Flag unravel. Yeah, everything is falling apart. Everything's falling apart. Trash Can Man has done R-U-N-N-O-F-T. He's run off. He blew up the facilities they were all working at. In the book, it explains further that not only did he do that, he actually blew up the helicopters with the pilots inside. And so, and those were the only pilots that existed. Like, yeah. no one else knows how to run anything. Um, so well, the, the plane was the one that Tom had seen them putting the bombs on. It's yeah. the one that trash can just blew up too. Yeah. That was the one they were preparing. Yeah, so they had the one they were preparing. Uh, there's no more pilots to kill everybody with. Um, Nadine, uh, so he's just found out that Tom Cullen is running around. Uh, Nadine, who has been quiet and freaking out and holding on to her vagina this whole time, uh, like goes onto the the balcony, and she starts giving like a monologue about how everything's falling apart, and she knows things more than she should know as well. But it's almost like she's kind of reading his mind about things he's concerned about, the people that are leaving in the night, that are leaving their posts. Yep. Yeah, everybody's talking about the that spies got in. They're yeah. talking about the judge and how. That was a failed mission to get the judge. And, and that Dana was able to not give away any information. It's Dana, yeah. everybody. And she was able to spy her way up to Randall's right-hand man. Exactly. And then she... So in the book, she does this specifically, clearly, to make him mad enough to throw her to to throw her off the thing. Yeah. So, um, so he throws her off of this, like, 40-story balcony or whatever in the book. Uh, and crushes her collarbones while doing it, and then realizes after he tosses her, he's like, "Oh no!" Yeah. Um, but in in here, she jumps off willingly. But she, I mean, she clearly was doing the in the book. It's the same idea. Yeah. And she's like, "I'll I'll be waiting for you in hell when they all stop you, and I'll have, be holding your baby." Yeah. And she just runs off because uh, his seed was cold inside of her. Yeah. Weird. Mm. And she's usually gushy and warm. And I'm you gonna think have to Satan's would one. have would be way warmer. Yeah, you think it'd be, like, super hot. No? No, I guess not. I guess not. But, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty intense, and then she's like, it's fine, it's fine. Too, can't turn back now. Yeah. Can you but turn back? it's not fine. This doesn't sound like it's fine, John. No, it sounds like things aren't going well. In fact, it sounds kind of like things are bad. Yeah, and it's all of his own doing. Mm, 
That's Trash true. Can Man was his guy. Yep. Nadine was his lady. Yep. Uh, it's everything's just going to hell in a handbasket. And he keeps he kept telling people just I want him to not suffer. I, trash Can Man is like I feel for him. I don't want him to suffer. But it's like it's such a weird like attempt to be a good guy. Attempt to be thing. He's got these buttons on his Canadian tuxedo that are just different types of smiley faces, but they're yeah. always shifting. Like he's making them come into being each time. And I think that's really fascinating, and I didn't notice it until, like, halfway. I was like, wait, these buttons keep changing. Well, <laughs> and he makes weird shit, because he has a vanity license plate that says flag on it. Yeah. But why did he make it? Why would he need a license plate? Yeah. Like, government is gone. Yeah. Like, you don't like, need a license plate to drive anymore. And he probably magicked up the car in the first place. Yeah, and of course his douchebag would just, oh, I'm going to make license plate for the state he's in. Yeah. Like, it couldn't be something even cooler, like a, a completely not not unofficial Nevada license plate. Just, yeah, no, just a regular normal Nevada. Just a li- magic holographic license plate with a no. devil face or something. No, cool. no, it's got flag on it because he's cool, man. Yeah, it's like an official Nevada license plate. What a piece of shit. <laughs> okay, well, we're at the Proofox Nuclear Storage Facility Number Three on September seventeenth. Yeah, but I have a feeling Trash Can Man is going to be there. All right. What? Glenn died. He did. That old man, he's the sociology professor, and he just laughed in Randall Flagg's face. No, he wasn't a fan of that. No, he did not like that. He didn't like it at all. He's like, we made such a fuss out of you. And you're nothing but a roach. (laughs) And then he got shot a bunch by Lloyd. Yeah, and Lloyd felt bad about it afterwards, I think, too. I think he felt bad about having to do it, but he's very much on the, like... I know that Randall Flagg is bad. I know that he's going to lose, but he saved me from prison and made me who I am right now, and therefore I'm going to follow him. Yeah. Which is an interesting kind of loyalty. Yeah, I think it happens. Yeah, you know, like even if you're if you're like following a magic man, even if they're a crook or a criminal or something like that, it's hard to even if you know rationally that's what's going on. But if they saved you, then you personally owe yeah. them. I guess. Yeah, Loki just came into the room, which means that we should keep going. <laughs> okay. We just saw the hand of God. Yep. It was pretty cool. It came down for Trash Can Man. Well, so... So Trash Can Man with My Life for Yours my wasn't life. for Randall Flagg. Yeah. It was for God. Which is yeah. why Randall Flagg could not get into his brain. Because he was for God. Yes. And God was kind of using him to... He was a tool of God. You know, I think about Trash Can Man, and I think, like... That's why he blew up the planes. In theory, he's like he's a, he is like a literal hand of God in this sense, right? Yep. But it's not in the sense that, you know, we think about, okay, was Judas necessary to betray Christ? Was it required by God, and therefore is Judas culpable, blah, 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 blah. This is straight up, like... God made a crazy person that liked fire. Yeah. And, you know, and Randall Flagg thought he could use him, but it's just chaotic. Yeah. You know, he's not evil because, I mean, that's the thing about, I think a lot of the people that that come around Randall Flagg are not necessarily evil, but they do. Oh, thanks, Loki. for just walking over there. That's great. But. Well, it's like all, like cult leaders. They go yeah. after the people with the troubled lives. And yeah. Yeah. Not so great upbringing. Like the lady, I think her name is Susan. The lady that uh, they, that Nick had had sex with at the drugstore that like tried to tell Tom Cullen that medicine was poison, who was yeah. totally crazy, yeah. and she ended up there. Yeah, yeah. She recognized Tom Cullen actually, but they couldn't yeah. find Tom. So Stu oh. had broken his leg. Yes. And he got left behind. And yes, with the dog Kojak. <laughs> so yeah, so Kojak has stayed behind catching rabbits and getting wood and make, taking care of him and sleeping yeah. on him, making sure he stays warm. Uh, but Stu feels, he hears Mother Abigail says, you gotta go and watch this. Cause yeah, he said, you get up. Get up. So he's gotta go and be the witness so that they can go back. And so he tries to climb up the culvert on his own. Yeah. The culvert that he fell down and broke his leg on. Did we actually cover this yet in the podcast? 
We've been uh, watching for a long time. I, uh, I think, I don't even know if we, like, got to the part where Stu broke his leg, because we've just been, like, watching rap for the last 20 minutes. Um, yeah. It's really interesting. It is uh, very interesting. So in. Stu broke his leg in a culvert. Uh, he climbs back up to watch. Tom Cullen shows up at the very last moment, because Nick Andrus has been speaking to him in his dreams, and I'm a little disappointed we didn't get to see that, because of mm. perfect Rob Lowe, and I miss him already. Mm. I'll have to watch some episodes of Parks and Rec when you go to work. Uh, he's great in Parks and Rec. Oh, he's so good. And Perkins. <laughs> Just so, it's so good. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, what was I saying? Okay, so Glenn has been killed by by Lloyd. Uh, we did talk yeah. about this, actually. Yes, we we had gotten it because we, okay. Glenn's been killed by Lloyd already. Uh, our two dudes that are still there, Ralph and um, Larry. Larry. Uh, are still there. They get tied up to a machine. Yes, they were going to be sentenced to dismemberment. Yes, and with a freaking scroll. The scroll's <laughs> yeah. got the thing on oh, there. Of course he's super dramatic yeah. with a scroll. And then, like, but during this whole process, it's so interesting because Glenn tries to talk to Lloyd about what he's doing and he can choose not to do it and to shoot Randall instead. But he also says, it's not your fault. You know what I mean? He actually, yeah. like, kind of does that, you know, don't blame them, God, for they do not know what they do. And yep. then, like, and then Lloyd makes it clear who he supports. Um, and then similarly, Whitney, who is a character we haven't talked about, but he's just someone that worked for Randall Flag and wanted to leave. And he actually gets up and says, like, we're Americans. We don't do this. Yep. And meanwhile, in the audience, as Whitney's being electrocuted to death, is a, a dude with a, a confederate flag which sounds about right because con- you know what confederacy isn't american yeah it's no, not it's we're anti-american just, we're just laying down some uh some truths <laughs> for podcast but yes it's the opposite of pro-american it is the opposite of that is anti-american um and so yeah so randall flag kills whitney with an electrical ball which you know is still active yeah, that crazy lady trips on him. Yeah, and then and she and she gets electrocuted, and then a very special gentleman shows up. Yep, trash can man melting. Yeah, this four wheeler. Okay, this. special effects. Yeah, when he peels his glasses off. Oh, that's, that's just like the he takes his glasses off and half his face comes with it. It's just like he does a good job too talking. Like he he's does. like, I can't see well. I can't see well. And Lloyd does not want to kill Trash Can Man. No. No, yeah. he doesn't deserve to die. Trash Can Man has something wrong. Yeah. Well, he's gone against Randall, basically. I just think that's so interesting, this idea that the whole time to be an instrument of God. And basically... Under ev- the nose of the devil. Under the nose of the devil, there's someone that's been there. And it's not a betrayal, kind of. He doesn't no. necessarily know anything but he could be just like tom cullen sent in because like yeah the simple-minded can't be heard but like you know, it's not his fault that he's no fashion insane but randall thinks he's talking to him when he yeah. says my life for yours yes but when the hand of god comes down he's clearly talking to the hand of god when he yes. says my life for yours yes and it's like oh shit randall's this like I, I misjudged this one yes and tries to turn into a crow and then boom yep and, you know, we got a few, a little bit of uh, of Ralph and, and Larry Underwood get to say, you know, goodbye yep. briefly because they see he what's says, happening. And he says, take us home in the book, to Mother Abigail. Yeah, in the book, it's so beautiful. And it's like, and then God wiped out the, the good and the bad alike. And yeah. I just thought that was sort of a beautiful thing. I don't know. It's sad because they're dead. But um, you kind of, but, you know, Larry's whole thing was becoming a good guy like he's like he's always had these two kind of parts of himself the part that's he's not a bad guy he's never a bad person but he does shitty things and but yeah. there's the part of him that's just the guy that does shitty things sometimes he's and the part selfish. he wants to be because the ideal part yeah the selfishness and then like he goes through this sort of like this walking through the desert and they literally, like like Glenn says, they let go of their baggage. Before, when they were walking in the wilderness, they had their baggage with them. Yep. Now they've let go of their baggage. They are just walking through the desert, and they're becoming themselves. When Stu, le- when Stu says, leave me, 
in the ditch, basically. Larry's supposed to be the next leader. Like it was, there was a list of people who have to be the leader. And so, and so it's very important that, and it's less that Ralph or Glenn are good leaders. It's just that Larry needs to be the leader in order for Larry to become the person that he ought to be. And how it kind of sucks that he became the person he ought to be and then immediately got blown up by the A-bomb. But he gets to be with Mother Abigail now. Yes, he does. He does. He wants to go home to, what's her place called? Nebraska? Yeah, what's the... Freeman's? No, Fremantle, but what she called her her, uh, house and the land it was on. Hemingford home? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. You'd think she'd get to be younger in her... In the in heaven, I guess not. That was her ideal self. Yeah, she's like That's old. That's when she peaked. Enjoyed the prunes. <laughs> but that is so interesting to think of of trash can man as a hand of God. I, I mean, I just finished reading the book and I didn't think of it that way either. You just thought he was a crazed person who was just didn't know what he was doing. I think he knew what he was doing, but it was like I was just thinking. Even during the watch of the movie, it was just like. He magically knows where to go on things. And mm-hmm. I know you mentioned he might have just looked it up, but there's, the guy doesn't look stuff up. He I just knows how to do bombs. Yeah. Like, he just is, like, he magically knows. and he, But he keeps hearing in the book, he hears, like, you burns uh, Grandma so-and-so's uh, social security checks. Yeah. And that's what the thing of, like, and, and people that burn things wet themselves, wet the bed or something like that, and he's tortured by... His childhood, basically, and he just, you know, some people just don't fit into society. They do better at blowing up the secondary society. It was a pyro, but a useful pyro, I guess. A useful pyro. Do you think that he actually was religious in the sense of, not in the sense of going to church, but that he knew he was for God and not for the devil? I think so. I think he always meant well. Mm-hmm. He didn't mean to hurt people, and he knew how bad it felt to be made fun of and to be hurt. In the book, he talks. He you get to hear his like his thought process of going to Randall Flag, and it was because he didn't think it was right to go to Ab- Mother Abigail, who's scared of her. Yeah, well, that might just have been the fear that God put him. Kind of like yeah. how Randall Flag had led Nadine and uh, yeah, what's his nuts over to uh, <laughs> to Mother Abigail. Yeah, it was God's. He was God's. Um, Okay, I can't even think of the douchebag, the one that you hated so much. Harold? Harold. Why am I losing his name? It was like God's Harold. You know, the nice thing about this episode is that we had three fucking episodes of Harold. Well, really two of them, that two full episodes of Harold. Yeah. But we're bookended outside of Harold, because the first one, you don't see much of Harold in the first one, except at the end. And he's still gross. He did make it to Gross's Corner in the first, second, and third one. Yeah, I think uh, I think Gross's Corner has to be trapped. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> when he pulls off that, and when he pulls off the thing, and it's clearly his eye goo coming out. He's yeah. like, I can't see that. that. Was great, but it's only because we haven't seen much of Harold. He died in the first act. Yeah, which is you know, and but we didn't get to see him die. But the things that were grossest about Harold, he didn't get the chance to do. No, because that all there was just so much of it. In there, uh, let's. Well, we're not actually done yet, so no, we still got more to go. Yeah, we got a brewer's brews coming up too. So, John, they stood. They stood. And they're tall, and they died in heroes. Stu was super sick, and Nick Andros, perfect Roblo, showed up. To tell Tom Cullen about antibiotics. That's right. And, and Tom Cullen saved Stu's life once again. Once again. And then so they took a truck and then a snowmobile all the way back to town. Stephen King almost shot them. Yeah, no, he was he was the un the Oh, less he was zealous. the one that was less zealous about shooting strangers in the snow. Yeah, he's like um, calm your shit down. And so Franny has had the baby, but it had the disease. But the baby's fine. Yeah, it just had a flu. Well, no, no. The baby had Captain Trips, but because it was only half immune. And so it has to work out whether or not it can survive. Well, that's right, because that's not... So everyone yeah. that was pregnant during... <laughs> this dog is crying in her sleep. Everybody that was pregnant during the apocalypse, if they're, 
if their person that made them pregnant was not also immune, then their kid only had a 50-50 chance of survival. Yeah, I forgot that that wasn't Stu's baby. No. That was the random guy that we never got to meet. No, in the in the book you do, and he's a terrible poet. <laughs> but not as bad as Harold. No, no one's as bad as Harold. So, so it was so good. Now, in was- the in the book, this is something that was driving me crazy, and I can't wait to say it. So this ends with them looking at the baby in the hospital, thinking about everybody that's died and, you know, moving on together and blah, blah, blah. So, but in the book, so that, that's how the, the, the miniseries ends, but in the book, they it cuts to, like, nine months later, and they're moving back to Maine alone, Franny and Stu, with their baby. Well, they're going to start repopulating no that's not the plan she's pregnant and she's and he's like but aren't you worried about the baby she's like no we'll just have to we can read books and we if the medicine runs out we can learn how to make more medicine and it's like bitch that's not how any of this works you saw what happened when someone had appendicitis yeah but they could have another baby and they'd only be half siblings so then they well in the book they talk about actually um going working together um, and going back and forth to Colorado to, like, you know, send their kids to have babies. Kind of like, oh. Yeah, I know. Don't say it. We've already said enough in this one. So, what is your ranking of this film? Well, technically it's a miniseries. Yeah. Um, but on a scale of 1 to 10, I think I'd get it an 8 out of 10. Uh, yeah, I would say of the Stephen King movies. See, here's the thing. I think it's fantastic. It has perfect Rob Lowe. It has perfect yeah. Molly Ringwald. I don't want to call um, Gary Sinise perfect in the sense because he's too masculine. So it's manly man Gary Sinise. But then you have Harold, who is the best Harold that you could ever have. I can't even imagine. I'm looking forward to seeing the new version of this eventually when I can detoxify myself from Harold. But Yeah, I don't know if they can out to Coronamic. I don't know who plays no. Harold. but Gross's Corner was not Harold this week. No, it was uh It was trash came in taking off his stuff. Um, a little bit of brewers brews before we do the next thing. Um, I decided to have a beer because I had some calories left over. I'm drinking some shorts brew, and isn't that a local It's it's from Michigan. It's from Michigan. It's a Michigan beer, and they've got this new beer out called the Power of Love. Yeah, I tried one of those uh, yesterday. Yeah, it's a shandy style ale. Uh, sorry, it's dark in this room. It's a shandy-styled ale brewed with rosemary and raspberry and blended with homemade lemonade. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty clear. It's pretty It's pretty light and refreshing. It was quite nice, nice to watch as people stood. This one had a lot less gore except for Trash Can Man this episode. Yeah, there wasn't much gore. A little no. bit of fake blood on... Um, yeah, Gary Sinise having... Well, Gary yeah. Sinise had some on his face and his leg and yeah. then Harold... Also on his yeah. face and his leg. I think that that you could actually see the blood in the crotch of uh, of uh, Nadine. Oh, when I didn't she gets that. when she sits up on the um, on the ledge, it's just bloody all up down there in her, in her lady parts. Weird. I wasn't looking at her crotch. Well, I couldn't help it because her hand was there the whole time. Because and it's like, oh yeah, that looks kind of messed up. So. Uh, that's really wonderful. Now, the way that this podcast works is we're kind of cycling through things, right? Yeah. And this was the, our Stephen King usually is one movie. Yeah, but this, this was a big four-parter. The next one we do does not need to be a four-parter. We got to do no. a short. We got to find a shorter Stephen King movie, which is not going to be oh. it. Oh, the miniseries? No, no. we have. Well, we'll have that sometime. We'll have we that, could do yeah. one of the it movies. We could do. Um, there's a few others. There's Firestarter. Yeah. There's Cat's Eye. There's yeah. We could go crazy and do The Running Man. Do you remember the Langoliers? <laughs> yeah, and the Tommyknockers and mm-hmm. Dreamcatcher. Yeah, there's so many. There's so many. But that's not going to be for like five more episodes. Yeah, it'll be a while off. That's going to be like, because it's, it's pretty far down. But right now, we're back to Shutter Essential. Yes. So now we can scroll through and see if there's anything that catches your eye. Okay. Okay. Well, we got Carnival of Souls from 1962. A woman begins seeing mysterious ghostly figures following her after a car crash. Okay. I have watched this recently with our oldest. Okay. Next, please. Messiah of Evil from 1973. Five skulls. A young woman heads to a mysterious seaside town in search of her father in one of her great of the great cult gems of the 70s horror. This is great because we're going to my hometown, which is the seaside town. 
just in search of hanging out with my family, but that's like in a in a like right. few weeks. Okay. We got the little girl who lives down the lane. Five more skulls. What dark secrets does 13-year-old Rin Jacobs hold? Jodie Foster stars in this classic chiller. Interesting. Got Manhunter from 1986. Hannibal Lecter made his first film appearance in this 1980s adaptation of Red Dragon. I don't know if I've seen this, but I have read Red Dragon. Oh, I've seen Red Dragon. Then we have Burnt Offerings from 76. In this 70s classic, a family rent a home for the summer, only to find themselves in the grips of a terrifying evil. Got Near Dark from 87. Okay, Near Dark. It's a vampire central, apparently. Yep. We got House of House on Haunted Hill from 59. No, we saw the preview for this last time. It is the horror thriller with a fairground funhouse come to life. I think I talked about this with one of my Affleck dudes recently. Uh, he's like, you got to watch House on Haunted Hill. It's so good. Was he talking about the 1959 version? I don't think so. Probably not. Uh, the City of the Dead from 1962. In this atmospheric classic, a professor, horror icon Christopher Lee, sends a student to Whitewood, Massachusetts, the site of 17th century witch burnings. Once there, she learns the satanic secrets that live on. Huh? Not a bad choice. Night of the Living Dead. We're definitely That's not going to watch that one. the original 68, yeah, which is great. It's so good. Uh, American. American Werewolf in London. We talked about that last time, too. Got Burn Witch Burn from 62. When a British professor ties to success to his wife's black magic, he destroys her spells to disastrous results. Got Day of the Beast. A rogue priest goes on a twisted spree to prevent the apocalypse in this horror comedy essential. I'm liking the sound of that. We got Nosferatu from 1922. Okay. Black, Black Sunday. Sunday from 1960. Lots of witches. A vengeful witch returns to possess her descendant. Okay. Ring, the original yeah. Japanese version. Yeah. We got Day of the Dead. Okay. Very Day popular. of the Dead. Hellraiser is okay. a fucking classic. Satan Sa- Slave from oh, 82. Indonesian. Interesting. Yeah. All right. We got Ginger Snap. Two outcast sisters. Huh? Two outcast sisters must deal with the tragic consequences when one of them is bitten by a werewolf. We got The Changeling from 1980. And this haunted house essential, a composer moves to a secluded Victorian mansion inhabited by a paranormal entity. We got Nick Cage's Mandy. Oh, I feel like we might have to do this because it's Nick Cage and it's it's a Shutter exclusive. Um, When a nightmare is called attacked, Red and Mandy, the shocking assault leads to a spiraling surreal bloody rampage of uh, mind-altering vengeance. We got Revenge. Yeah, that's going to be one when we have a baby we can watch Revenge. Okay, we got the original Halloween. Okay. Uh, The original Texas Chainsaw. Okay. Black Christmas from 74. Oh, about a killer stalking sorority girls on at Christmas helps spawn the... Okay. And the Beyond. Which we did see. We did see that one. And it wasn't that great. It wasn't. Okay, I would like to watch two previews. Okay, let's hope they have previews. You want to watch the Mandy preview? I want to watch the Mandy preview. And what was the one we were just looking at that's right before the Beyond? I want to watch Black Christmas and Mandy as a preview, if, okay. if possible. Well, let's watch the trailer okay. for Black Christmas. Okay. Think it's okay to play a trailer while recording it for a podcast? Um, how does this get made, does it? Okay. You know, it's funny, I've been thinking a lot about how, like, I go back and record these, or, and I go back and edit these, and I make so many references. Olivia Hussey! Hussey's last name. I make so many direct references to Mabim Bam. And that's the uh, McAvoy Brothers stuff that I watch. And yep. like, and also to Last Podcast on the Left. But that's because I'm listening to it all the time. Margot Kidder. Yeah. This is back in the day oh, when the preview fan. was like, have just, just nonsense. I mean, I guess there's still nonsense. Lieutenant Fuller. Just a dead girl in the window? Yeah. Asphyxiated on plastic? Yeah, a bag around her and head. someone looking at her? Yeah. Seems like a pleasant Christmas film. Wow. Alright. Someone's upset. He's like, I don't like you, toy horse. Did you ever see the movie The Boy? I don't think so. What about the doll? So good. So. Is this preview? St- is this, Are we just watching the movie now? 
Let's back out. I think it's the trailer, but let's back out just to be High safe. Been Mr. Let's see. It was supposed to be the trailer, but yeah, that I'm kept going. It, it kept getting pretty long, so let's, uh, let's look try. at it. Let's try. I'm sure I mean, Mandy has a proper I'm intrigued. Trailer. That's definitely a Christmas movie you can make the kids watch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's watch the trailer for Mandy. Are we in for Slasher or are we in for whatever this is? I hope. It's just Nick Cage nonsense, I hope. Yeah. Wow, was that Man, Sundance? I watched a Nick Cage nonsense movie with my friend Charlie recently. Not recently, a couple years ago, and it was so good and weird. Except he took off his clothes and he had sex. That was not comfortable. Oh, she's a witch. Why? Because she's wearing a Motley Crue shirt? And has an inverted cross like carved into her face. I didn't notice that. Is that the guy from Motley Crue? No. I don't think oh, Nick Cage is going to like this. I don't think so. This, this does look intriguing. You're a special one, Mandy. I, too, am a special one. Let us be so very special together. What the? F oh, he's a retainer. Okay, that's nice. The performance the of a lifetime for from, Nick Cage. From the playlist. Oh, he makes oh. a cool sword! We're going hunting? Hey! This looks beautiful. Yeah. Like, the colors are fantastic. Insanely it, violent. And ethere ethereally beautiful. I'll show you love. Wow. It exists in its own supremacy of horror dimension? Yeah. Magical, unforgettable. It's got some good reviews. This dog is not liking this preview. <laughs> oh, she woke up. She was just dreaming. Aww. Oh, well, we're watching this one, obviously. Um, yeah, I think we've a winner. I just kind of wish we could watch it right now, but nope. we might end up filming this before we we go camping. <laughs> it looks so good. Wait, November 29th? Yeah, that's our Oh, okay, past. okay, okay. That's from 2018. I was like, what? You can't keep this from me, Nick Cage. You can't keep this from me. This looks too good. Okay, everybody. That means that we're going to be watching Mandy, which is a Shutter exclusive. Well, yeah, Shutter yeah. exclusive, available on Shutter, 121 minutes. Why don't you go ahead and watch it? And you know, if you want to, if you want to send us some questions about the movie that you'd like us to talk about, how yeah. would the people tell us? How would all these send us information? <laughs> wow, you got really high there. <laughs> um, you can email at uptoandincludingdeath.com. or contact us on this dog's voices. Or contact us on our socials at up to and id with the number two. That's two with the number two, and our website at up to and including yeah, and I'm looking forward to maybe we'll get some people. But watch Mandy. We should actually like tag them in this uh, in this podcast. Like we should make some posts before, like tag who the the movie. The movie probably has a thing. <laughs> we'll just like share the movie on our socials and stuff like that for people to watch. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we could do that. I'll uh, I'll give a a shout out ahead of time when we're watching it and uh yeah if you want to tweet around the same time or i can post on facebook i don't really do anything else that's kind of your yeah i handle the twitter yeah. i don't do a whole lot on instagram but if you want to uh you want to make a kid do instagram for us maybe but uh, <laughs> can we trust them i don't know wait i don't want anyone talking to my like 16 year olds and stuff no but uh I'll be on Twitter, so yeah. I'll announce when we're watching it. And yeah. uh, if you want to uh, watch along or correspond, well, yeah. it's uh, welcome. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I think there's only uh, two things for you to do. Uh, stay scared. And stay merry. Goodbye.
The intro and outro of our podcast is Fire and Ice Rock Mix by Stefan Kartenberg. Copyright 2017. Licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike license. Thank you, Stefan.